What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. My name is Liam, and I pick fights. Today on the show, I'm going to be giving you my first look at UFC 289. I'm excited that we have a UFC pay-per-view back in our lives. Only 11 fights on the card. Not the greatest offering on paper, but the UFC is going back to Canada, uh, so I'm sure that it's going to be a raucous crowd. There's five Canadians on the card, so a lot to look forward to. And, you know, on my normal show, we start at the bottom of the card. Uh, on Thursdays, we work our way up to the top. We go over with all our research and analysis. But today, I'm going to be bringing you more of my first thoughts, uh, some top-line opinions, some top-line thoughts here. We'll talk about the betting odds, my reaction to those as well as we delve through. And if you guys have opinions, thoughts, uh, questions, anything you want to fire off, go ahead and do that in the uh, chat as we go here. Happy to address those. Uh, this is a little bit more informal, a little bit more of a free-flowing show. So appreciate you guys that are rocking with us at 12.20 in the East. Had a little bit of technical difficulties, but without further ado, let's kick it off with the main event of the evening, the only title fight on the bill. And we've got Amanda, the Lioness Nunez, widely regarded as the GOAT uh, in WMMA. She's taking on Irene Aldana, uh, Mexico, looking to get another UFC champion they have uh, three fighters with current holds on a piece of the title, right? Yair Rodriguez still just has that interim strap. But when you're talking about a country, a region that is surging right now in terms of their access to UFC hardware, it's certainly Mexico and uh, Brazil trying to defend that turf here in Canada. Weird kind of uh, matchmaking in that sense, but overall, it's a fun matchup. It's compelling, you know. When you think of Amanda Nunes, the first thing that comes to mind is her power. You know, she's an extremely powerful woman, very strong, big arms. Um, you know, and normally she's dominated women with the fact that she hits so hard. You know, I actually have a jiu-jitsu coach who trained with Amanda Nunes, um, you know, back in the day. And he said he's seen her personally, you know, with his own two eyes, knockout men in the training room, um, you know, with some regularity. So absolute beast, Amanda Nunes. But you also got to remember, she's been doing this for a very long time. She's got two uh, championship belts at home. Um, so it's pretty low stakes for her every time she goes out there nowadays. You know, I feel like that Juliana Pena rematch um, really brought the best out of her because she lost the fight. She came back. You know, I thought she was done. I thought based on that performance in the Pena fight the first time that she was done as a fighter. I thought she had lost the competitive drive, the spirit. Getting embarrassed by a fighter like Juliana Pena That'll do something to you. You know, that'll bring you back. That'll get that hunger going. That'll get you out of bed early to train. And she's got her own uh, facility. You know, I thought that was a little bit of a red flag going into the, the rematch. She looked great. She had the cardio to go. She fought much better. She fought smart. But it's not like she fought, um, you know, much different than she had in the past. She just introduced a little bit more stance switching and kind of exposed that Juliana Pena didn't have that many advantages if Nunez came in in shape, ready, prepared to go five hard fives. And uh, Chael Sonnen talks about it all the time. I think it's very true. Sometimes it's the fight that's harder than you expect. Amanda Nunez thought, I'm going to steamroll this girl. Went out there, threw a lot of heavy punches at her, didn't expect the level of resistance that she got. And when she was on the other end of it, you know, she started to fold up shop in that first meeting. Second meeting, she went there prepared for hard fight. She went there prepared to dominate. She went there prepared for five rounds. And when she had opportunities to finish, she didn't take them. You know, she absolutely wanted to deliver a message, go out there and put a beat 
beatdown, uh, make sure that there was no doubt that she was better than Juliana Pena. And then Pena ends up pulling out of the fight. Um, you know, Amanda Nunes didn't really want this booking, I don't think, with Irene Aldana. I think this is a fight that she would have preferred to avoid um, for as long as she can because Irene Aldana, you know, she doesn't have the shiniest record on paper, I believe, 14 and 6 off the top of my head. And she's lost a couple pivotal fights in her career, the Holly Holm fight uh, being the one that comes to mind. I was very confident that Irene Aldana was going to win that fight. And uh, Holly Holm, vintage performance, went out there, used the wrestling, used the grappling, got a hold of her. And if you had to criticize Aldana, you know, her wrestling and grappling continues to be a work in progress. Macy Chieson had a lot of success in round two in the top position. But, you know, I got to say, Irene Aldana has dynamic power in women's MMA, and that's a rare trait. And that's something that matches Amanda Nunes. It's what makes this matchup compelling. Um, and it what it's, excuse me, what may draw Amanda Nunes to a um, wrestling and top-heavy uh, game plan here. You know, uh, I'm curious to see how Amanda approaches this fight. I think that Amanda is also going to try and mix in her kicks, but Irene Aldana has very good low kicks. She has good boxing, crisp shots in the pocket. Uh, she knocked out Ketlin Vieira with a big right hand, uh, left hook. You know, she landed a bunch of big shots in that fight. Um, so I, I feel like overall, um, I've seen a lot of improvement from her. I've also seen her jujitsu game coming along. I've seen her getting more aggressive. Uh, you know, she made a, a really critical error in the Chieson fight in round two that ended up costing her the round, but she almost had a sweep of her own. She just got a little bit over aggressive, um, you know, and maybe instead of looking for the knee bar and ending the fight, you know, she tried to turn in, she tried to, uh, you know, um, maybe rush the position. And I feel like she ended up getting overexposed there, but then in round three, she comes back, she's able to get, um, you know, some good shots off on the feet while reacting to pressure and then gets taken down, finds the finish off of her back. You know, I still can't even understand how that was a finish. Um, Macy Chase on finding new ways to lose an MMA. God bless her for it. Um, but kick to the liver. You know, I've never taken a liver shot like that. So I, I, I'm in no position uh, to speak ill, but uh, it just, it was a really shocking knockout. You, you look, the crowd had no idea what happened uh, in that fight. They were looking around. Joe Rogan was looking around like, uh, what's going on here? Um, so shout out to everybody rocking with us in the chat. A lot of the homies are in here. Fight talk. Uh, a, my dog, Liam, appreciate you, brother. Uh, Mr. D in the building, late night fight talk with Liam. Of course, brother, uh, have to bring the heat no matter the time, no matter the place. We go to sleep and the job's done. Pena got knocked down so many times. It was like she was doing an up-down drill. Uh, absolutely. And my guy, Daz, uh, says, sup, Liam, if Amanda brings out the baby stroller at face-off, think I may have to fade her. Yeah, man, uh, we've we've definitely seen it. You know, when everybody shows up with the family, uh, you know, the wife and kid situation, it could be uh, dicey, right? Uh, I think that when you're looking at this fight in particular, you know, I'll be curious to to hear what each fighter has to say a little bit in the lead up. Um, I think that Irene Aldana, you know, just in terms of pure motivation, she's obviously got the motivation on her side here. You know, Amanda Nunes been there, done that mountaintop, everything, right? No personal grudge against this woman, Irene Aldana. Irene just has goals and dreams and she's 35 years of age, same age as Amanda. She wants to get to her dreams. You know, Amanda's already had it all. She's done it all. She's got the big, uh, you know, fancy cars and the everything else. You know, she's been at the top of the world. She's the GOAT. Uh, Irene Aldana struggled her way up the division, struggled through the skills, uh, improved along the way, got some big wins, suffered through some tough losses. And I just think that, 
you know, she's the woman that really wants this right now. And so um, for me, that's going to make her a tempting underdog. You know, let me just click over to fightodds.io here for one second. Uh, they've got sports interaction right now, minus 305, best price on Amanda Nunes. And you're looking at a plus 280 comeback on uh, FanDuel Sportsbook for Rene Aldana. So, um, you know, they're definitely favoring Amanda here. It makes sense. Uh, she's the champion. You know, she's got a lot of wins in the UFC, a lot of finishes. She's got skills on the feet. She's got skills on the ground. Um, but I do think that Irene Aldana is a live underdog in the spot. I'm going to be considering her that way. Um, I think that she is going to pack, you know, power in the hands as a underdog. She knocked out Ketlin Vieira in the very first round, uh, another Brazilian fighter, Brazilian fighter with good ground skills fight, never got to the ground, right? Fight was over in the first round. And one of the things that I noticed, um, that made me think, you know, maybe she could be. Uh, live in this spot is Amanda Nunes against Juliana Pena in that first fight. She started to get very emotional, right? You know, Juliana was having some success. She was coming forward. She was throwing a lot of shots. And, uh, you know, Amanda started to get a little bit emotional in her reaction. She wanted to throw back. She wanted to get in her face. She wanted to hit, you know, she wanted to really uh, push a pace. And um, I felt like it ended up compromising her in the end. Um, and I feel like Aldana against Ketlin Vieira, I, I just rewatched it before this. And, uh, you know, I, I, I saw Ketlin Vieira getting more angry, you know, she didn't like getting touched and Ketlin was doing a good job. She was landing big shots, but I feel like Aldana is the one who thrives in those fights that are back and forth wars that are gritty, that are really tough. And, uh, so I just think that she's going to represent a live underdog in this spot. Um, very, very interesting, interesting uh, fight here and shout out to uh, everybody that is lighting up the chat guys we got 33 people rocking with us live appreciate each and every one of you guys if you haven't already drop a like on the show hopefully more people will come in and join the conversation we already got a ton of sharp people in here so appreciate each and every one of you guys that are contributing furio bet says came here uh to hear why i should not max bet urseg and aldana brother you're not going to get the arguments for me uh i don't know if they'll be getting max plays you know i'm I'm looking at uh, keeping it very tight this year, uh, keeping it, um, you know, high ROI, low risk. That's my goal for the year. Um, that's my goal uh, with the work that I'm putting out. Last week, uh, two bets, two bets. We ended up profitable, but just picked our spots very closely. Uh, ended up with some closing line value on Felipe Lins as well. Um, so I think that my guy Eric makes a great point as well in the chat. How many more fights do you think Nunes has? I always make the point uh, when the UFC thinks they could do more business with you. You know, is it more likely that Aldana has five more fights with the organization or Nunes has five more fights with the organization? I think it's a difficult thing to say. Um, you know, I think it's a tricky one. So um, for me, it's going to take some uh, some real, uh, you know, special effort here from Amanda Nunes and I think that this may be one of her last title defenses if she gets it. So I never want to be the guy that missed a train on an opportunity to fade a champion on their way out. And uh, I think that, you know, people called me crazy for betting Grosso and a few other people. And sometimes you look silly when you fade somebody, you know, um, sometimes you look silly when you fade the dominant champion, but then when everybody else misses the boat and you're there, um, you know, it feels pretty good too. So uh, in this spot, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not going to be laying uh, three to one chalk on Amanda Nunes. Um, but I do think that, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can consider playing this fight. But uh, for me, it's going to be a, a dog or pass situation on the main event at UFC 289. And I think it should be a good scrap. You know, two ladies that 
uh, most of the time like to go out there and bang it out on the feet. And I think that that bodes well for us uh, as UFC fans. So should be a fun main event. And, uh, you know, you don't always talk about women's main events ending inside the distance. I would not be surprised at all if this fight ends inside the distance. I think that Nunez could get it done on the ground. I think that Irene Aldana could get it done on the ground. And I think that uh, on the feet, both these women possess a lot of power. So um, fascinating fight. I like it. And uh, I think that the underdog's live. Next up, we've got the co-main event of the evening, guys. Charles Dobronx Oliveira taking on Benny Benil Dariush. And this is another really compelling fight because you got two guys that uh, live by the sword and die by the sword. Um, two guys that kind of fight right on the edge. And um, I don't know that Benil Dariush always gets the credit he deserves um, throughout the course of his career, his body of work. But right now is like the peak of Benil Dariush, like credit and respect. And maybe Charles Oliveira has taken a dip um, in that because he got finished by Islam Mahashev. And frankly, that was not a very competitive fight. Um, I wasn't sure how competitive it was going to be, but I was I was pretty confident that Islam was going to get the job done there. Um, and the reason being is because he's got the Dagestani wrestling, able to get on top. Um, he's also got patient striking on the feet and a lot more um, defensive due diligence, right? Charles throws himself into the fire. He's not afraid of getting hit. He's not afraid of taking some damage. And I think Benil Dariush, the same thing can be said of Benil. You know, I think Benil sometimes fights right on the edge. I think he fights um, like a gangster. And I think against Charles, that's a dangerous thing to do. So, you know, this is a really fun fight. Another fight where I think Benil Dariush right now, he's got momentum. You know, he's got some good positive things on his side. He'd be a fresh title challenger. He would uh, be a lot more um, compelling potentially against Islam Mahashev. How would he fare there? But he's not a young uh, guy. He's not a spring chicken either. Um, so, you know, Benil, he's a guy that hasn't always taken advantage of, of some of his opportunities in the UFC. And I'm mostly talking about on the microphone because, again, in the octagon, how can you really criticize the guy? He goes out there, puts on fun fights puts hands to people, but sometimes after the fight, you know, when he's got the opportunity to market a big fight, you know, he's talking about Elon Musk and getting a Tesla and all this stuff, you know, I just, I love Benny. And so that's why it's just painful to see sometimes. Um, but I think overall, but Neil Dariush, he's a hard guy to sleep on and he's come through in this short favorite range before. Um, you know, he's been in a lot of closely lined fights as well in the UFC. And, uh, the thing I, I would be most afraid of if I'm a Benil Dariush backer here is just him getting knocked unconscious because uh, I think he's very tough. I don't think he's ever going to try and quit on you. Um, but I don't know that his cardio is a selling point necessarily. I think he normally spends himself for victory. And he's had a couple of these fights where when he gets the finish, he looks like he's on death's door himself, but he just finds a way. He digs deeper. And uh, Charles is a guy that can do some of that himself. So um, it's a really fun fight. It's compelling. Two bangers at lightweight. Um, I'd probably be tempted towards the under here. You know, um, I got burnt with this a little bit last week, right? I said I picked my spots. Had Felipe Lins bet him plus 140, close plus 110. I was happy about that. And then I took the fight doesn't go to decision in Caceres and Pineda. Um, but you always got to remember it's a two-way dance, right? It, you got to account for both individuals. And um, Daniel Pineda, that was the sixth time in a 43-fight pro career that he's gone to decision. But for Alex Caceres, he routinely goes to decision. So you got to 
<coughs> excuse me, account for that sometimes uh, in your handicapping process. And I bet the fight doesn't go to decision at what I thought was a very fair price, but the guy who won it had no interest in finishing the fight. You know, he would land a big body kick and let the guy have six, seven seconds to recover. It was absolutely unbelievable. So for me here, you know, I think Benil is probably the more durable fighter, but I don't think it's by a huge amount, you know, because Benil's been hurt. He's been rocked. Um, and he's been on the edge of being finished. And normally he could bail himself out easily with the grappling when he gets hurt or anything like that. You know, he could grab a hold of people and you can't um, disrespect his grappling. Like Benil Dariush helped change the game in grappling. But when you talk about Charles Oliveira, he's one of the most winningest submission grapplers in MMA history, in UFC history. And I think that that can't be slept on at all. You know, it's about practical application. Benil Dariush is a very good wrestler and grappler, but he's not always out there finishing guys. You know, he's a guy that got submitted by Michael Chiesa. I think people forget that fight. So just, I don't think that Charles Oliveira should at all be slept on here, uh, but he did pull out of the fight. You know, he has had a little bit of questionable, um, you know, interactions with the media and things. So I want to see what Charles Dobronk shows up this week. I want to see if he's emotional or if he's dialed in. And I think if he's dialed in, he's a very dangerous guy. Um, probably the most dangerous guy Benil's fought. You know, you look around some of these, um, some of the win streak, obviously Carlos Diego Ferreira, good wins for Benil. Um, but then some of the other wins, the Dracar closes of the world and some of these other guys, um, I think the Scott Holtzman knockout and some of these things, you know, they, they maybe didn't age as, as well as you would have hoped. And Charles Oliveira, on the other hand, you know, he's beaten some guys at the real uh, top end of the division. Is his win streak replete with some sketchy guys too? Yeah, yeah. His his run up was a little bit sketchy for a while, but uh, he's also been around for a long time fighting upper echelon guys, and he's had more UFC experience. He's been around the MMA game longer. He has more fights overall by a huge margin. So both of these guys, incredibly compelling stories, but I just can't count out Charles Oliveira. Um, so, you know, I, I haven't bet this fight, um, but I want to wait and see where this line ends up, you know, if there is not a significant move uh, in the line towards the Benil Dariush side, I would be concerned if I'm a Benil Dariush backer because it seems like everybody is on him this week. Uh, and I'm going to wait and see if that changes as well. Public perception is big for me. You know, I don't like to be on the side that everybody's on. Um, I don't I don't like to follow um, the masses. I like to try and do my own thing. I like to try and come up with my own independent reads. And uh, I like Benil Dariush. Um, but I have bet against him before, um, and it's because he does put his chin on the line. He can be hurt, um, you know, and I thought that the last fight was going to be where the rubber met the road, and he did a great job. He landed a huge punch against Gamrot, but I thought if he hadn't landed that massive punch that dropped Gamrot, and that's a big if, right? We're, you know, we can't uh, erase that. That did happen, but I'm just saying I thought that some of the optics there, um, you know, if it was a decision also could have been going against him. Um, you know, I thought he could have been losing some of those rounds. I think Charles Oliveira is a little bit more dangerous, um, even than Gamrot. Um, so I think Gamrot, you know, a guy on the ups, a guy whose future is brighter right now. But I just think that uh, in terms of who's more lethal in the cage, I mean, it's not it's not really a question right now. Next up, folks, this is a really interesting one. You know, uh, I got to go back and watch a little more tape on this. But to be honest with you, Mike Malott, he's not an easy guy to tape. You know, his career is like, you know, 12 minutes or something. I'm half kidding. I think he had one 15-minute fight in there. But 
you know, he's not had very many long fights. Um, he's not had all that many fights overall. His career stretched out over a long period, but recently he's been looking aces, you know, and part of that was fighting Johan Lionessi. I, I cannot uh, discount that, but also I think that, um, you know, he's been showing a lot of good things. When you look at Mike Malott, he was always known for being dangerous on the feet. He had good power, good striking, good mechanics. Uh, defense not really there. You know, even to this day, his defense is not very good on the feet. Mickey Gall was landing some big shots. It's gotten better. He does a decent enough job. He moves around a little bit, shifts his head. He tries to be evasive, but um, he doesn't have the biggest range in the world for a welterweight. But he does have power, and he's pretty natural. He's pretty fast. Um, got a decent athleticism to him. You could tell by his musculature, by his build. Um, Malat's a pretty strong guy. And I love, love, love his guillotine. He is an excellent, excellent guillotiner. Uh, he's from Team Alpha Male. No surprise there. Uh, but you look at the guy's fundamentals. I mean, um, the way he choked out Smotrisky on uh, Contender Series was absolutely a thing of beauty. You know, sits to it, uh, has it pretty much dead to right. Smotrisky actually does the right thing. I talked about this um, with the clip that's going around, going viral, Sean O'Malley, um, you know, uh, Guillotine and Gomi. Gomi didn't even roll to his back. You know, he didn't even give himself a chance uh, to survive there. But what you saw from Malat was a perfect answer. Smotrisky flat backs himself and Malat gets height. He extends his arm. And then as Smotrisky tries to sit into the, uh, you know, uh, basically into his base, try and get his knees underneath him in order to survive, uh, Malat then cranks it all the way up like high elbow style. And he just had the, the kid in all sorts of trouble. Smotritsky is tapping through uh, in between his legs. Like it was a disaster. Um, Mike Malat, he's done that to a number of people. But you know what I really love about Mike Malat um, on rewatch? It's just his instinct to finish fights. You know, he knows when he's got somebody hurt with the hands. He knows when he can submit them on the ground. Um, and I like that about him. That's a really good uh, way to, you know, ensure you win is to make sure you get it done early. But I also do have some considerations about what if the fight gets extended? Because Fugit, I think, is tough as nails. You know, um, even the fight against Morales, where he got stopped there, he wanted to keep fighting. You know, I think that um, he was glad, probably, because he had taken so much abuse that the referee stopped it. He just stayed down on a knee for a minute. Uh, but he looked like he was building back to his feet when the referee intervened. So for me, Fugit is a very tough guy. He'll fight you to the bitter end. And... Um, you know, he's going to have a reach advantage here. He's going to be a little bit taller. Uh, he doesn't have the greatest chin in the world, uh, but he doesn't have a bad chin. You know, it just is a little bit exposed sometimes in striking exchanges. He's a little bit off balance at times, leads to knockdowns, even when he's not altogether hurt. Um, so those are some concerns on the Fugit side, especially when you're talking about fighting a, a Canadian Superboy in the featured bout uh, in Canada. I think that's going to be a big, um, you know, feature spot for the UFC talking about this guy who is actually really talented and has some finishing potential and coaches a team alpha male. You know, he's positioned himself in a lot of the right ways. Excuse me. Boy, that's the beauty of having a guest is you don't have to talk all that much. You know, you start running your mouth for a while. You get get a little bit dry mouth over here. But uh, excuse me, folks, we're right back to it. Um, Fugit. What stood out to me as well about the tape uh, that was concerning here, he actually got guillotined uh, really uh, quickly. 
by Nick Maximoff on uh, Submission Underground. If you guys are aware of that promotion, it's Chael Sundin's deal that he runs, um, you know, uh, for UFC Fight Pass. It's a, a grappling-only competition. You guys uh, may be familiar with Nick Maximoff. He had a few fights in the UFC. He's a good grappler, but he also was choked, you know, in like 45 seconds by Andre Petrovsky uh, in the UFC. So I think um, it's a really tricky um, fight to break down here because I feel like Malat has like clear um, things that he could do to win this fight. Like, I think he could absolutely knock out Fugit on the feet. I think he's got power. I think Fugit's been hurt on the feet before. Uh, I think that Fugit, um, you know, is going to be trying to uh, stick it to, to Malat and get a hold of him. Malat also has good knees. He's got good clinch work. Um, you know, he's pretty solid with his Muay Thai. But, you know, I do have some worries for Malat here. If the fight gets taken to the ground and he is not into an insta-sub scenario because we haven't really seen him get pressed and extended on the ground. I've watched a few of his grappling matches. He's all right. Um, you know, I think he's very good. He's obviously better than me. You know, I say all these things as an analyst, not as a, uh, as a peer, right? Mike Malat would kick my ass, but I'm saying when you look at his grappling style, Fugit, you know, may be able to extend this guy a little bit from on top, may be able to land and may be able to, uh, try and put him underneath in the half guard. So those are some things where I think it becomes an interesting fight, you know, also, Everybody in the world seems to love Mike Malott in this spot. You know, Tapology isn't everything, but he's like 90 plus percent of the votes on Tapology. And you're looking at a 70% money line. So I would assume there's some sharp resistance here on the Fugit side uh, at minimum. Um, and I'll be curious to see how this line moves over fight week as well, because if it starts blowing out to minus 300, you know, uh, that's going to be something that uh, tells me, you know, maybe the bookmaker respects the money that's coming in on Malat. But, you know, if they just keep hanging the same number all week and everybody you know has got a Mike Malat ticket um, in Canada, that's going to tell me something. That's going to tell me something. So um, I'm going to be patient here. You know, I don't feel I don't feel like I need to force my hand. This is one of the tighter fights in terms of market width, especially on the underdog. You're looking at like plus 165 to plus 175. You're really not seeing much outside that range. So I think that for me, um, that's something I'm going to pay a lot of attention to. One, uh, you know, let's talk about one broad theme here as we move along the card. And I truly appreciate you, uh, Daz, my man uh, with the dono. Uh, never asked for, but always truly appreciated. Um, I love doing these conversations. I love um, facilitating these and hopefully everybody learns something and enjoys the conversation. It's always a blast. And I love hearing from the sharp people in the chat as well. Shout out Big Bird. UFC says Mike has been at Niagara top team for a while. Don't think he had team alpha male anymore. Fair play. Um, yeah, for sure. I, I think that he's done cross training um, for most of his career um, between team alpha male uh, Niagara top team, I think is one of the newer places he's trained. He trained at champions creed, I think, uh, for a while as well. Um, so I think he's done the rounds, um, getting, getting good work around the world. Um, Furio says Mike, um, a lot at minus two XX feels really gross to me here. And I love him a lot. Fair play. Bailey says you the goat Liam. I appreciate you, Bailey. Um, like I said, it's my pleasure. Um, and I think that Overall, though, you got a very competitive fight here between two welterweights past 30 years of age. 
Um, Malat's the younger guy here, but again, Fugit's got a little bit of length on him. He's fought probably the much tougher brand of competition uh, in the UFC. They have a common opponent in Solomon Renfro. Renfro, if you guys remember, was absolutely uh, floored by Fugit. You know, I don't think he had a single moment of success in that fight. And I say that with a lot of respect. I think Solomon Renfro's a beast. I think he's had a couple of tough beats. I think he's taken on a lot of really tough challenges young in his career. So I think he's got a ton of athletic potential. I think he can get bounced back. But when you look at the Fugit fight, you know, Fugit came out and he's going bang, 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 just throwing a lot of huge shots, right? Throwing a ton of kicks on the feet. And that for me, um, was a little bit instructive, right? Where you go out and you see the Malat fight. Um, Malat was getting blasted by Solomon Renfro. Solomon Renfro is walking him down, landing most of his shots. I thought he hurt Mike Malat in that fight. But then Mike Malat was able to rally and find a nice um, you know, opportunity and basically clubs the guy and instantly hops on his back and chokes him out. So it was unbelievable finishing instincts for Mike Malat. It was good reaction, and that was the only thing I'll say to push back against my guy, uh, Furio. Um, I do think uh, he makes a great point here about his game isn't very big favorite friendly. He's not proven to win decisions. I think that's a good point, Um, but I think you had also made a point about him maybe not being um, as – as tough, or maybe I misread that, but yeah, basically, man, it's just for me, um, a lot. I'm not, I'm not sure, um, if I could count out his toughness here either. Cause I feel like both these guys will fight you to the death, but, uh, I think somebody's going to get finished here just based on the way that these two approach MMA. Um, you know, neither one of them has great strike and defense. Uh, neither one of them, um, makes perfect decisions. I would say in the grappling, but both are very aggressive. So, just a, a fun welterweight scrap here in the featured bout. And I got to say, you know, this is where the card will start to come back to reality. But I think that top three is very fun. I don't think that it's one where, you know, you, you're you uh, writing home about that Mike Malat fight uh, as the featured bout. But I think it's fun. I think Fugit's maybe an underrated but very talented guy in the welterweight division. Um you know, two guys that could use some shine, they could use some opportunity. They go out there and put on fun action fights and, you know, answer when the UFC calls. So I, I'm not mad at that. Uh, and Benil Dariush and Charles Oliveira, I mean, who could possibly push back on that? Absolutely a stellar booking at lightweight. The only thing you could maybe ask is that it was, uh, you know, five rounds. It's only going to be three here. Um, and I think that that also um, makes it a more fun fight because it's going to allow both guys to just let go completely, fire all their attacks um, and, and come out hard for 15 minutes. I don't know that they could push it for the full 25. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 uh, I did not mean to throw you under the bus there, Furio. I, I was trying to read a couple comments at once there, and you had a couple abbreviations. I, I misread what you were saying. <laughs> uh, but we can move along to the next fight here. And this is where we've got Dan Ige taking on Nate Land, where uh, Nate the train in the UFC. This um, this is a fun fight, but it, it feels almost like a TV fight. I feel like Dan Ige, he's earned some respect in the UFC. You know, um, went out there, knocked out uh, the Canadian Gavin Tucker. Um, you know, I, I think Dan Ige, he's put together a pretty solid resume. Uh, I just pulled up his topology. We'll go through it a little bit. And like I said, this is my first look. So, um, you know, he loses to Chan Sung Jung, the Korean zombie. He loses to Josh Emmett. 
loses to Movsar, Evloev. And, you know, those are three losses that you could really sort of give him a break. You know, he gets the win via knockout over Damon Jackson. Looked like a huge favorite there. Like I mentioned, that win via knockout over Gavin Tucker. Um, I thought that uh, that Josh Emmett fight was really close, you know, with Danny Gay. I thought that was a competitive scrap. And um, I think that Danny Gay, he's kind of one of these guys that he he's an all-arounder. You know, he's got good power in the hands, but he's something of an all-arounder. I'm not sure uh, that he stands out in the wrestling or the grappling. Uh, particularly, um, his cardio is pretty good, but you know, he's also at times struggled with shots, of the body. Um, so I think that's something, uh, that I'm going to be paying attention to. Boy, this is an interesting fight, man. Um, Nate has overperformed my expectations for him. Certainly, you know, um, going out there, beating Onama, uh, pretty cleanly despite fighting in an absolutely savage way. Um, you know, it's impressive. It's definitely impressive, but I, f- I almost feel like Nate, the train's been like high rolling his position in the UFC, but I feel like we've also seen a significant shift since he came to, uh, since he came to MMA masters, you know, I feel like at MMA masters, we've seen some improvements and there's been guys, uh, training at MMA masters that people consider high level, you know, Colby Covington. Definitely one of them, Ricardo Lamas guy that uh, trained there as well. Um, so that that gym, that camp deserves uh, some respect. And I think that Nate the Train in the UFC, you know, maybe he's the next guy for MMA Masters. But Extreme Couture, uh, they're you know invested in Dan Ige. Um, he's a he's a solid fighter, man. He's just not an easy guy to beat anywhere, um, and he's very tough and durable. So I feel like the more durable fighter here is Danny Gay. And I feel like he's got probably more power as well. I think he probably has the wrestling and the grappling to keep this upright. So I understand Danny Gay being the favorite here. One thing I want to do guys is just circle back. I didn't necessarily run through the odds for all these fights. So we could just talk about my impression on all these odds. I know I talked about the main event. Uh, I think I mentioned that Benil Dariush is a favorite here, but I didn't mention that his best available price about minus 125 on Betway right now. You're looking at a plus 127 comeback on CloudBet, um, plus 125s basically in a lot of other places on Charles Dubronx Oliveira. So, um, you know, plus money on Dubronx, that's come through a lot of times in the UFC. I'll just say that. Um, don't know if it's going to come through this time, but it's come through a lot of times in the UFC. One of the winningest underdogs, I'd have to think, uh, off the top of my head. I know Jan Blachowicz is up there. Um, there's a couple guys. Glover Teixeira, I think, has been one as well. But love to see it when those guys those guys that are consistently doubted and, and find a way to come through. But uh, the other fights that we have to talk about, the odds, um, you know, I talked about the market with. We're looking at the Mike Malat side. Best available is on cloud bet, minus 200. And plus 180 is the comeback on Giraffe Kings uh, that's best available on the Fugit side. So, um, yeah, about plus 180 to plus 165. Very tight market with there for Fugit. Next up, um, the Dan Ige fight. Minus 245 on FanDuel. Best available. Plus 215 on DraftKings. Best comeback on Nate the Train in the UFC. Uh, so if you want to keep riding that Nate the Train underdog uh, run, 
you know, I think this might be where it comes off the tracks, but he's also, uh, he's a guy that's going to go out there and fight for your money. Right. And we talk about that conceptually. Um, sometimes you just want a guy that, you know, is going to put it all on the line. And sometimes Nate will get caught on the chin and get finished, knocked out cold. But when that doesn't happen, he's going to give you everything he's got until, until the referee stops the fight. So, um, I, I think you always got to respect that about these guys. Next up, Eric Anders taking on Mark Andre Barriot. And this is the second Canadian on the card. He's going to come in here, I believe, as a slight favorite. Let me pop over to the odds here. Mark Andre Barriot, best available, minus 138 on Betway. Looking at the best available comeback on Eric Anders at plus 132. And, uh, you know, I haven't looked at the intangibles here. So I haven't even looked at the height, reach, anything on this fight. I'm a little surprised to see Eric Anders as the underdog here. Um, I think that Eric Anders, he is, you know, he's not a guy that stands out at any one thing, but he's very athletic. And he's uh, he's able to land good, heavy shots. He can hurt guys when they're not expecting it. And I feel like we've been seeing better performances out of Eric Anders recently. I'm going to pull up some Eric Anders topology here and remind myself of his recent run in the UFC. So he lost a grappling decision to Joe Pfeiffer. He knocked out Kyle Dawkins, and that was a cool one for me. I bet the plus 600 there um, on Eric Anders by knockout. That was my prop squad right up for the action network as well. So was super happy to see uh, your boy, Eric Anders get back on track. But he lost a split decision to Jung Young Park. Guys, I could tell you, I had Jung Young Park that night. Oh, I don't know if he won that fight. That was, a, that was a big bet for me. And I believe it was at minus 200. It was a bad bet. Uh, I could tell you, Eric Anders was 100% the side. Uh, Jung Young Park did not win that fight clearly enough to justify the price. Did he win it? I would have to rewatch. But I, I felt gross on the night of. I felt bad for Eric Anders. Betters, I felt like they were hard done uh, by that performance. So um, that's something to keep in mind. Andre Muniz, you know, stock at an all-time low for my guy Andre Muniz because he got absolutely audited by Brendan Allen. But I think he's still going to audit a lot of other guys in this middleweight division, to tell you the guy's honest truth. that I think Andre Muniz has very elite grappling, but he met a guy in Brendan Allen that's got good – Good scrambling, good movement on the feet. Didn't let him get a hold of him, and uh, he just beat the hell out of him, you know. And uh, they always say in jujitsu gyms, you know, you get hit ten times, you're you're not a black belt anymore. You're brown belt, uh, purple belt, all the way on down, right? Um, you you don't want to get beat up and and hurt and damaged, uh, and then try and remember things sequentially. Um, you know, it's it's a hard thing to do. And he just had a hard time getting it to the ground. And when he did, he was getting audited by another black belt. Um, because he was more fatigued and he was more damaged. So uh, just things to keep in mind there. I think that, you know, if you put those two guys in the gi, we're probably having a whole different conversation. I think Andre Muniz might tie him in a pretzel. But uh, when you're talking about what what we're seeing in the UFC octagon, Brendan Allen was better prepared. He was the better man on that night um, and, and a huge win for him there. But now back to Eric Anders, who we're talking about right now. And he beat uh, Darren Stewart. Um, and, you know, he he barely beat him the second time, right? I think because he kind of took him lightly. But the first time he fought him, I mean, he just absolutely assaulted him. So training in Arizona has been a good thing for him. You know, Eric Anders has been getting in that different work in Arizona, got out of Alabama, 
got uh, into a better training environment, took his career more seriously, invested in his career. And I think that that's been huge for him. I think the fight ready move has been significant. Uh, Mark Andre Barrio, what does he bring to the table? He's got good cardio. He's got good pace. Uh, I don't think he's got significant power. Um, so I think he's basically going to try and pace him. He's going to try and look for takedowns. He's going to try and wear on him. But I'm a little bit concerned uh, for Mark Andre Barrio here because he's got a big, powerful guy in front of him, and Eric Anders, who's going to try and hurt him, who's going to try and hit him with big shots, who's going to try and test his chin and his willpower. And I don't think he's going to be very easy uh, to out wrestle and out grapple here. Um, let's look at Mark Andre Barrio and his recent run in the UFC. He's also been suspended for steroids for sure. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Um, or I should say for PDs. I don't know what he was doing. He beat Julian Marquez. Um, he, uh, for Mark Andre Barriott, now we're talking about Brian Anthony says that Anders left fight ready. Uh, so I will have to look into everybody's Instagram over the course of this week, guys, and make sure uh, that their affiliations are where they say they are and things like that. But I was just going based on topology. I know he had moved out to Arizona. I'm not sure if he's done any moving since then. So if he has, please go on ahead and update me, uh, or I will do my due diligence and correct the record for the Thursday show. But in the meantime, um, you know, it's been up, down, up, down recently. Uh, for Mark Andre Barrio, and he's been finished in two of his last four fights. His wins were over Julian Marquez and Jordan Wright. So I feel like uh, those wins don't really tell me much. Abu Azaitar win doesn't really tell me much. Oscar Pihota win doesn't really tell me much. And Jin Young Park, you know, he beat the hell out of Mark Andre Barrio um, in that fight, uh, if my memory serves. So, um, yeah, I. I uh, I'll have to look into that, though. I appreciate the shout, Brian, on Eric Anders' training situation. So, yeah, guys, for me, this is a fight where, you know, I'm not really looking to lay chalk with Marc-Andre Barrio very often. You know, I think he's an all right fighter, but I don't think he's an exceptional athlete. I don't know that he takes the greatest punch uh, all the time. I don't know that his cardio is, um, you know, necessarily – head and shoulders above uh, everybody else in the division. Cause we just saw um, against, I mean, obviously Fluffy Hernandez has some of the best uh, cardio in the division. No doubt about that. Uh, but Fluffy Hernandez absolutely audited Marc-Andre Barrio and he suffered injuries. He suffered a bunch of uh, difficulties. So, um, you know, they're putting him in a position to win, right? He's in a fight where he's favored in Canada, but I just don't think that Eric Anders is a guy to sleep on either. Uh, I think he's a pretty tough guy, and I think he's pretty big uh, fellow with a little bit more natural athleticism, a little bit more natural power, uh, maybe a little bit more of a chance to finish this in the early going. So um, you might even find a better live price on um, the MAB side at some point during the fight, in my opinion. Next up. We've got Nasruddin Imavov taking on Chris Action Man Curtis. Action Man coming in here with way more professional experience uh, than Nasruddin Imavov. That's something that stands out on paper. You know, 40 professional fights compared to uh, less than 20 for Nasruddin Imavov. And, you know, we also just saw Imavov lose to a teammate of Chris Curtis. 
Um, so, you know, that's something where it's a little bit interesting that the UFC is matching them up this way. Um, I found it very interesting, right? Cyril Gan went from being like the bell of the ball to losing to Nganu, and then he is brought in to just be the absolute, um, you know, guinea pig for John Jones heavyweight experimentation, right? Uh, which I found to be a little bit um, of the UFC kind of writing him off a little bit, you know, kind of selling some stock on Cyril Gan, and now they've got him off fresh off of a short notice beating at the hands of Sean Strickland um, over five rounds. Nonetheless, five months later, he's back in there with Chris Curtis, another good puncher, another guy who can go a hard 15 minutes in the UFC. Um, we just saw him basically get robbed on the scorecards. According to most people, uh, I'll rewatch the fight and see what my opinion is after some objective rewatching. I didn't have any money on the fight. Um, but I didn't give the closest uh, watch because of that at the time. And, you know, there was a clash of heads. There was some controversy. Chris Curtis basically got knocked out, recovered, and kept fighting. Let me see how long ago that was because that's my concern here for the Chris Curtis side is he's been in a lot of fights. And, um, you know, Nasruddin Imavov, they don't call him the Russian sniper for no reason. He definitely lands big, heavy shots, and he – he can connect early in fights and change the dynamic. So let's see how long our guy Chris Curtis has been on the shelf here. Excuse me. I'm trying to pull it up here. Chris Curtis, another extreme couture guy. That's another thing. One thing I like to keep note of is the UFC. Um, they like to, I don't know if it's for travel reasons, for bringing in coaches, for whatever reason it is but they like to bring in people from the same team for these fight cards. And so you notice Dan Ige and now another extreme couture fighter here, Chris Curtis. So a couple XC guys here are going to be making the walk. There may even be others if I scan up and down the card, but we'll take a look at the win loss for action man, Chris Curtis. So, you know, a, co a somewhat controversial decision there goes against him versus Kelvin Gastelum. He beats Joaquin Buckley, who just exploded onto the scene in the welterweight division. Um, you know, he knocked him out, loses to Jack Hermanson and Jack showed off the footwork there. He showed off some veteran savvy, some experience, you know, Imavov not necessarily doing that over the course of uh, 15 hard minutes all the time. You know, he's really struggled in terms of his cardio and his pacing. I was embarrassed by that Imavov performance because I thought he was going to beat Strickland. I thought he was the better, cleaner striker, and he just didn't have the gas to go. And the ABC say always been on cardio, man. Chris Curtis, I think, just has better cardio, a little bit more savvy, a little bit more veteran experience. Um, and I think that Daz is right. Jack Hermanson exposed Chris Curtis, but you know, Jack Hermanson has the cardio to go. He can do it for 15 minutes. He can go hard 25. He went the hard 25 with Marvin Vittori. So I just think that, you know, when it comes to Jack Hermanson, not sold on him as like a top five guy or something like that, but he's not an easy guy to beat either, especially if you can't grapple, if you can't take it there. Um, and for me, this is a fight where I don't think the power is huge for Chris Curtis. I think he's got, you know, moderate power. Uh, but I do think that he's probably just got a little bit more uh, fundamental striking for 15 minutes here. Um, I think a mob off in the early going, though, is going to be live, certainly, uh, because 
that that uh oh wow oh wow let me double check that let me double check that am i reading this correctly hold on here jeez i don't know if it's fight odds or topology that's making this run so slow so my apologies here folks All right, here we go. Wow. Yeah, this is a really quick turnaround. Two-month turnaround here from Chris Curtis basically being knocked out in a fight against Kelvin Gastelum. I don't really love that either. So situational, I think that maybe this favors uh, Imavov slightly. But overall, this seems like a pass fight for me. Two guys that have a lot to prove that both really need the win right now. Uh, so motivation you'd expect would be really high. Um, I don't know if there was a canceled bout here or, or what led to this fight, but for me, there's just a lot that uh, makes me uneasy about this matchup, I'm trying to figure out who's going to win. I think that Imavov um, obviously is going to fare better in 15-minute fights uh, where he knows that he could you know, push the pedal to the floor a little bit more, uh, but even Phil Hawes was able to beat this guy by decision, so... Um, it's not like he's been on a perfect run there either. I think that's a problem for him. Chris Curtis got a lot of high-level experience outside the UFC. He was on a huge win streak um, at one point in his career. So two guys that have a lot of talent. And also, I got to just say, Chris Curtis, Cincinnati, Ohio, represent uh, two states I put on for New York and Ohio, baby. New York first. Of course, I'm a damn New Yorker to the day I die, but got to put on for those Ohio boys as well. Uh, tough guys out there in Ohio. So shout out. Next up, we are closing out the main card, ladies and gentlemen. Let's see what we got. And guys, if you've got anything that you're in love with, a bet that you love, a question that you have, something you want to talk about, go ahead and fire those off in the chat as well. Uh, but I'm sure that the Rogers Arena uh, in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, is going to be absolutely rocking uh, for a prelim matchup between Jasmine Jasu Davicius against Miranda Maverick. And, you know, Miranda Maverick has been a little bit of a money train for me in the UFC. Um, I was able to find some nice ITD and some sub plays along the way at good plus money odds. Um, She's a pretty significant favorite here. Jasmine was kind of audited a little bit by, by excuse me, Natalia Silva, who was able to stuff her takedowns, keep it on the feet, land a lot of damaging strikes, take over in a lot of situations, um, and really made her work hard there. But speaking of Mike Malott and Niagara top team, his teammate at Niagara top team is Jasmine Jasudavicious. So she's getting high level work. She has good training partners. She works very hard by all accounts. She seems very tough. Um, she seems like a very uh, game girl that wants to be in there, that wants to fight. But I think she's got her hands full with Miranda Maverick. You know, Miranda Maverick, very smart fighter, uh, very intelligent young lady has all the skills, in my opinion, on the ground. She's got a lot of physical intangibles. She's very strong. I think that she can match Jasmine in a lot of the strength. The one concern I have is 
you know, Jasmine's got a lot of length. She's put in a lot of effort um, into the wrestling and the grappling phases. And at times we've seen Miranda Maverick um, give up one bad position, you know, make one mistake and just have her uh, cost a, you know, have it cost her around something like that. Um, I think that this was a good point uh, from Daz right here. Jasmine looks bigger. Close fight in Canada could be a robbery decision. That is something I always worry about, right? Because when you're talking about fights that could go to the cards, you know, I don't know that Mike Milan and Adam Fug is going to see the cards. You know, I just think that's going to get settled by those two individuals. But this is a fight that I think could see the cards. You know, when Miranda Mavericks fighting girls that don't want to quit, that really want to fight, that want to stay in there, that want to be gritty, that want to be tough, unless she submits them by just being better technically at jujitsu and finding her spots and doing some damage and opening up and things like that, unless she does that, She's going to have a hard time finishing more often than not. Um, so if it goes to decision, you know, that's, that becomes anybody's fight. You know, she's gotten some, some stuff done with, um, you know, like a, a close shot. Um, I, and I think she, she got a TKO stoppage due to a cut one time as well. Um, yeah. I think it's a really compelling, fascinating fight. Um, and I think it's one of the more interesting fights you know, outside of uh, top competition that you could give to Miranda Maverick because I don't think Jasmine's easy to out-wrestle and out-grapple, um, though I think it's possible for Miranda Maverick. And I think that Miranda's going to have to navigate, you know, dealing with the striking against somebody that's got some length and some abilities of her own. So it's a, it's a good matchup stylistically, and I understand why Miranda Maverick is favored. I think that she's uh, put together a very solid run and a very solid career. But I would be just a little bit worried about um, the judges. I would be a, a touch worried about the judges here. Um, yeah, and I also agree with my guy, Daz. He says, um, Jasmine's tough. She's going to bring it. I think so, too. Um, so shout out. We got a lot of sharp people in here. Gerardo Hernandez says he's got Miranda Maverick by decision. So best of luck, brother. No bets for me yet on this fight. Uh, but I do think it is compelling matchmaking. That, next up, an underdog that I do consider live here, uh, and I haven't bet it. I'm going to wait and see where this line shakes out to. But Eamon Zahabi, you know, um, I bet Eamon Zahabi uh, against Tercios, and I got a, a lot of hate there. And it wasn't a great fight, um, but he does a good job negating other people's offense. You know, there's a lot of different ways to win MMA fights. Sometimes um, you have to go out there and, and be the alpha and take people down and get on top of them, you know, knock them out with a big shot or whatever it is. But sometimes you have to just do things that prevent them from getting off clean offense and finding your own ways uh, to score. And so Zahabi, you know, he does a pretty good job negating other people's offense. He faints, he moves, he creates angles. You know, he's been caught. He's been starched before. He's not the most athletic guy in the world, but he's well coached. He He's a guy that has pretty good counter mechanics. Um, and, you know, he's landed a big knockout, took Draco Rodriguez right out of the UFC. Um, and also on top of that, you know, um, against Tercios, a guy who's known for his volume, known for getting off on all these shots. He ends up muting a lot of his volume, landing some big shots over the top, changing the complexion of the fight. So. I think that Zahabi is probably the side here. Uh, but that being said, 
uh, Orichi Lang is nothing, nothing to be trifled with. And I think, um, I, you know, I want to go look at his typology and see what his training situation has been like, um, you know, as long as it, <laughs> hopefully it's updated, right? Uh, obviously I'll do a deep dive throughout the week, but I'm pretty sure he's another one of these guys who might be training at fight ready. And I think he's been showing up looking good physically, uh, looking in great shape, um, throwing with a lot of power. And he's the guy that's got more fights here. Uh, the Mongolian murderer, uh, Arichi Lang, great nickname. Beat Jay Perrin by decision. That's a little bit of a red flag. I kid, I kid. Uh, knocked out Cameron L. So, yeah, I think he is out of fight ready. Let me check here. Um, it says Zindu Martial Arts Club on Tapology. Um, I'm not so sure about that. I believe he's training in the States. He lost a decision to Jeff Molina and a decision to Cody Durden. Um, so I don't think that those are terrible losses that I'd hold too harshly against him. And he's fought a lot, man. He's got a lot of experience under his belt. So I don't think he's anybody to sleep on. Um, I would not want to, you know, quickly lay chalk against the guy either. But I think that, you know, in this fight, I would probably just lean towards plus money. You know, that that would kind of be my, my read here. I think it's going to be very close. I think they probably fight to a split decision type of fight here. Um, it might come down to a Richie Lang looking for some takedowns, looking to get on top. Um, but I, I just, I don't know um, if I really rate his game. And I think Zahabi's kind of clever, made some good adjustments after getting knocked out. We don't have to talk too much about this one. And I, I wish there was a little bit more to say on some of these matchups, guys. But, you know, number one, I'll have more to say after I do some due diligence here as well. But number two, uh, there's just some some fighters here that aren't very experienced, and and that you normally don't see uh, at the UFC level. Um, you know, talking about fighters that only have two and three UFC fights fighting on pay-per-view cards, but that's what we're dealing with. That's what we got, and so that's what we're going to talk about, and we're going to find uh, as much enjoyment and as much uh, you know discernible information here as we can along the way. Next up. Our last and fifth Canadian on the card, for those of you keeping track at home, we got Kyle, uh, I believe it's the monster, Nelson, taking on Blake Builder. And Blake Builder, he's a guy that um, I have a hard time getting a beat on because, um, you know, when you look at Blake Builder, he's definitely – had some adversity in his fights. You know, he's had times where he was dropped. He had times where he was getting knocked down. Um, he had times where he was eating some clean shots. He had times where he was looking a little bit sketchy, but he's found the results, you know, 8-0-1 in his career. Uh, done a pretty good job going out there and getting the win. And he's coming off the contender series. The UFC kind of seems like they're giving him a, a winnable fight. You know, Kyle Nelson seems like they're doing the same thing. Kyle Nelson, he's not a very high-level UFC guy. Uh, but he's stuck around. He's done a lot of tough jobs for the company. He's taken some beatings. He's moved around weight classes. He's been, he's been in a lot of fun fights too. You know, he likes to go out there. He likes to swing. He likes to be in fun back and forth, exchanging fights. Um, so I kind of worry about Nelson um, in the wrestling and the grappling here um, against Builder. I think Builder likes to engage in those spots. Uh, I think Builder on the feet is definitely liable here though. Uh, I think this is a fight that, probably trends towards an under. I think both these guys kind of fight with a little bit of panic, a little bit of, uh, you know, wildness to their game, a little bit of unpredictability. 
Um, so yeah, I think it's a really tricky um, fight for me. I, I definitely need to do more due diligence before I part with money uh, in a fight like this. But um, just thinking about it off the rip, you know, Kyle Nelson, he has a lot of UFC experience uh, to be a big underdog against somebody like this. So, um, but yeah, I think, I think Daz is not wrong about this. Kyle Nelson is a bum, not going to lie. I think at the UFC level, Kyle Nelson is not very good. But I also do have a little bit of question marks about Blake Builder. Um, you know, still not totally sold. I think he's a little bit older coming in uh, as a UFC prospect, if my memory serves as well. So let me just double check that. I don't want to speak out of turn on the gentleman. Um, we'll bring it back to topology here. But, you know, just from memory, I felt like Blake Builder was in his mid-30s, um, and I felt like he had a pretty suspect chin, uh, was my memories of taping him on the contender series. And, you know, I thought that he looked good on the contender series. You know, I think um, he's done a pretty decent job. You know, I don't want to take anything away from him. He's 32 years of age, same age as Kyle Nelson here. And Kyle Nelson out of House of Champions MMA in Canada is going to have a three-inch reach advantage, three-inch height advantage, bunch more UFC experience. But, you know, a lot of his UFC experience is getting the tar beaten out of him as well. So. Um, you know, how much is that good for? So, so I think that Blake Builder probably deserves to be a favorite here, but, you know, I just wouldn't, you know, minus 200 is a little bit rich for my blood for a guy, uh, I believe, making his UFC debut. And let me just double check that. No, no, he did make his debut against uh, Shane Young. You know, one other thing to note here, the UFC having Blake Builder um, – take on Shane Young in Australia and Kyle Nelson in Canada. Uh, what are they just having this guy go on a pay-per-view tour or something? I like it. You know, maybe Blake Builder is somebody that they got their eye on. You always got to pay attention to who the UFC likes. Um, I think the UFC like might like this guy based on that, or they might hate him, you know, sending him to all these foreign lands to hopefully get beat by, uh, you know, the, the home fighter. Maybe that's it, right? Depends how you think about it. <laughs> But yeah, I think Blake is a wild fighter um, to be a 65% implied favorite. I, I agree with Daz's uh, take in the chat. And guys, we got 51 people rocking with us live. I want to ask each and every one of you to do me the personal favor of getting subscribed to the channel. If you are not already, please drop a like on this video. Trying to get out here on a Sunday. Uh, I know there's not that much content in the MMA world on Sundays. Trying to change that. Trying to get after it. And, um, you know, starting at midnight uh, as Sunday's drawn to a close, as people are getting ready for Monday morning. Uh, I don't know when this show is going to reach you, but whenever you're watching this, I appreciate you truly. Uh, and I hope that you'll support me by just dropping a subscribe, drop a like on the video. Uh, it helps out tremendously. And with that being said, we can move along to the next fight. Um, we're, we're at the bottom of this barrel, guys. We're at the dregs of the card. Uh, nothing too good left to discuss. But we will find a way uh, to make um, what's the expression? Uh, you know, we'll 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 turn some crap into uh, to something usable here. <laughs> we got David Dvorak versus Steve Ursag, and this is an interesting one, guys, because I do find it to be a curious case. Dvorak had some momentum, you know, he got some wins in the UFC, but at a pretty uh, low level, I felt like overall, um, you know, Dvorak then kind of be getting audited in his recent fights has not looked so good. Uh, let's go back through the David Dvorak ledger. He's 20 and five. 
um, you know, got a great nickname, The Undertaker, right? Um, but two losses in a row now in the UFC. Manel Cap loses by unanimous decision there, got hurt a couple times, had a tough go of it. Mateus Nicolau, those are two high-level guys, though, man. I think that's why he's still favored here. I think that Book, just giving him the benefit of the doubt, you fight two really solid guys, it's tough sailing. You know, prior to that, had wins over Juan Camilo Randeros. Not sure what to make of that. Jordan Espinoza, pretty low-level win in the UFC. The guy's been cut. Bruno Silva, that's a decent win. That's aged okay. Uh, and that was his UFC debut. I'm pretty sure that was Bruno Silva before he discovered, um, you know, supplements. <laughs> uh, to put that politely. But otherwise, this guy put together a pretty dang good run uh, in terms of the wins on paper, what they looked like. But then you go look at the records. You know, he wasn't fighting very high-level comp. When he started fighting good guys, he started to get audited a little bit. You know, he's still been very tough. He hasn't been easy to put away. But Urseg here coming in, he's a tough guy in his own right. He's a talented guy. So I don't think that, um, you know, uh, I don't think that you can really count out this guy, uh, Urseg, as a dog. Let's go check what fightodds.io has to say here about the odds range for this Urseg fight. Not every book has come to market yet, but you're seeing as high as plus 320 on DraftKings. And plus 280 on Bet Online. So the much sharper book here, 40 cents down um, on that underdog price. And yeah, I think uh, I think Ursaig definitely a live dog. So I'm going to be waiting to see what other U.S. domestics open him up at and uh, I'll consider a play there. But I think Dvorak definitely got to give him credit as the UFC guy, uh, tested at the level. But um, Ursaig, he's fought UFC. Uh, you know, proximity type guys and shown he can, he can compete. So uh, not going to count him out. Nine and one record, half the pro experience. So got to say way more experience for David Dvorak, but against two, you know, I think Ursig's tested himself well from Perth, Western Australia. Um, fought Paul Loga, Shannon Ross. Um, and his only loss is via decision on the amateur scene, lost to Denise Bondar in 2019. And Denise Bondar, not a bad fighter, but did get beat by my guy Malcolm X. Gordon uh, that everybody sleeps on and just talks about how he's a terrible black belt. But he gave Makayev a run, um, and he broke Denise Bondar's arm. So y'all better stop sleeping on this guy, uh, Malcolm X. Gordon. But for me, I think that, uh, yeah, Urseg as an underdog, a little bit tempting here. Dvorak off two losses. Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit harder to get behind him. Although it's fair to say that those losses are to very good competition. He was supposed to have a different opponent here. So he's accepting on short notice, a new opponent against a tough guy. That's not easy stuff, man. Um, so God bless him for it. Tough guy for taking on the challenge, but maybe not great career management. Uh, Diana Belbita, I think is uh, the last fighter that people were mentioning. Maybe she trains out of Canada. I'm going to check and pull up her record here. She's fighting against Maria Spider Girl Oliveira out of Brazil. Uh, so should be a fun women's strawweight fight to kick us off. But this is low level, guys. Um, we've got two girls that have struggled a little bit in the UFC. Um, for Diana Belbitza, she's lost to Molly McCann. She lost to Liana Jejua via armbar round one. Uh, she lost to uh, Gloria De Paula. And she beat Hannah Goldie. She was supposed to fight Loma Lubunmi. The fight got canceled. 
So she's really struggled. She is out of House of Champions MMA as well in Canada. Um, so training out of Canada, she gets that rub here, but she is born in Romania. Um, so Romanian uh, by way of Canada. Uh, I'm just playing around now. But for me, you know, oh, boy. Let's let's look at the record for Maria Oliveira because I don't even want to put anything on stone until I look at this. I mean, I think both these women have a lot of uh, improving to do, a lot of growing to do. Um, so she lost to Vanessa Demopoulos. She lost to Tabitha Ricci. And I think the Tabitha Ricci one, I'll take nothing away from her. And she beat Gloria De Paula by split. Yo, I did not think that uh, Maria Oliveira won that fight when I first watched it. So I'll have to rewatch it. Also, apologies, guys. I did not want to brew coffee at this late hour uh, as I normally do. Um, but I uh, I just I want to be able to sleep tonight so I can wake up early and get a jump on the day tomorrow. So apologies for the yawn there, but I'm feeling great. Overall, Gloria De, Bahu- De Paula excuse me, has terrible takedown defense. Um, so she gives up some, you know, bad takedowns and, and some poor visuals in her fights. But I, I don't know. I, I'm just not convinced that, uh, you know, Maria Oliveira is um, is anything to write home about. She is coming in here as a slight favorite. But guys, this matchup is actually available at widely different odds on different sports books. So I'm looking right now. Betway has Maria Oliveira listed at minus 105 compared to Jazz Sportsbook at minus 136, Bet Online at minus 130, most sportsbooks at minus 120. So if you have Betway, if you have access to Betway, you may want to get down on that Maria Oliveira side um, just for, uh, you know, potential ARB and cash out equity uh, that will become available on the other side because right now you would have a negative synthetic hold. You can get Diana Belbita as high as plus 112 on Jazz, plus 110 on Bet Online, plus 109 on Pinnacle, and plus 111 on CloudBet. So um, shout out to fightodds.io, actually listing some odds in real time for sports books. Uh, hopefully, best fight odds. Dot com can be saved. It would be beautiful if we saw that happen. Um, my guy Moy says, Belbita by KO, check right hook, save this message. I love it. Uh, somebody with conviction on this fight. I think that Belbita uh, will have an advantage here, um, but you know, I just don't, I'm not like uh, sold on it, right? So would I lean towards her as the side at plus money? Absolutely. Would I be thrilled to run out there and and back her if she was the chalk side? No, I would not. So uh, for me, you know, hopefully more Maria Oliveira money keeps coming in and maybe we get a good price uh, that will tempt me on the, uh, you know, Canadian by proxy, Diana Belbita. But guys, there you have it. That's my first look at UFC 289. If you guys have any questions, comments, things that you want to get off your chest about the card, about any upcoming UFC fights, about anything in the news of combat sports, about any concepts in MMA, betting questions, stuff that happened on the last UFC card, anything you want to get off your chest, we'll leave a couple minutes for that right now. Um, And in the meantime, I thank you all for being here. Had an absolute blast. You know, uh, I do have one bet already on the card uh, that I sent out in the lab VIP. And it was basically a bet where, you know, I'm taking a little bit of a stab on an underdog here. And I normally don't bet underdogs early in the week, right? So why am I betting this underdog early in the week? 
because most sports books are pricing this one differently, right? So sometimes when you see these outlier prices, you want to get down a little bit. So that way, you know, you have options. If the number improves and goes the way that you want and you get a better price, great. Then go ahead, take that number uh, as it improves later on. So you could dollar cost average and get closer to the number that you want. However, nothing hurts worse in betting than when you have a number in front of you that you consider playable and you miss it because you're trying to get an even better number, right? So for me, you got to know what number do I consider this playable at? Then you're saying to yourself, okay, I got this. This is a playable number for me right here. Then it's how much do I want to play at this number versus another number? Because it's all about the the amount of edge that you have, right? If you think you have a 5% edge, you should be betting a little bit. But if you think I have a 10% edge, I should be betting a little bit more. Does that make sense? I hope that it does, right? So for me, I think that at a certain number, you know, at a plus, you know, uh, 2XX, a plus whatever, that's a good number. But could it get better? You know, could it improve? Will it? Will I see plus three XX? Will I see plus four XX? On all these different numbers, that's what you want to ask yourself because you want to get the best number that you can on the side that you want to bet. And you have to want to get value. So if I think that there's value to be had on the line, which in this case I do, then I have to ask myself, how much value at this price versus another price? And do I think it's going to move? There's an art and a science to betting right? There's numbers behind it. Is it going to be, you know, plus 250 or this? That has a real break-even point. That has a real, uh, you know, percentage that it implies. But there's also the art of betting, knowing that underdog prices sometimes will blow up right before the fight's about to go off. The parlay liability's gotten huge. The sportsbook needs to sell, sell, sell that underdog, right? You got to understand um, the art and the science. So for me, that that's something that I'm going to be doing this week is I'm going to be patient. Uh, the public comes in heavily on pay-per-views after weigh-ins on fight day. You got to know that going in. So if you want to get down, one thing I'm going to let you guys know, in my opinion, the lines will get much sharper between now and Tuesday because what's going to happen is sportsbooks will slowly start turning that lever up how much money they let people bet. And as they do that, as they start increasing the limits, the lines are going to get sharper and sharper. They're going to have more exposure. They're going to have more sharp players that bet into it. People that bet really early are normally sharp, okay? So if the line starts getting corrected today, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, okay, that's something to watch for. The uh, favorite starts moving really significantly. Oh, that's something to pay attention to. Late in the week, right, the movement could be a little bit more difficult to read. Yeah, it could be a, a absolute sharp play, or it could have been a deluge of public money that is pushing a dead side, that's pushing the wrong side out to a bigger favorite, you know, that's just running the parlay liability in the wrong direction. So these are just things that you you learn as you uh, experience this sport over and over. Um, last thing I'll mention here, you know, look at how the card is structured, right? We've got a lot of big favorites on this fight card. You know, I'm going to go count right now on fightodds.io, but I believe that we've got, you know, at least five fights here with an over two to one favorite. I could be mistaken. It could even be more than that. So we've got Blake Builder over a two to one favorite. 
We've got David Dvorak over a two to one favorite. We've got Miranda Maverick over a two to one favorite, over a three to one favorite, as a matter of fact. Uh, David Dvorak over a three to one favorite. Dan Ige over a two to one favorite. Mike Mallott over a two to one favorite. And Amanda Nunes over a three to one favorite. So we've got a lot of big favorites on the card, guys. What does that tell me? That tells me there's going to be Parlay City. It's going to be a lot of parlays. Okay, and I love my parlay homies, right? Some weeks, y'all parlay homies eat, right? It goes chalk, 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 chalk all the way down. And I say, God bless you for it. Um, because sometimes y'all eat. Sometimes the underdog betters eat. And I think that on pay-per-views, sometimes big underdog betters eat, right? Because they're willing to take these big risks. They're willing to stand against the market. They're willing to stand against the big masses and hordes of people that come in. The public, the great wide public that I love, right? And some of them watch my show. I appreciate you. But we also have the sharpest chat in the game. And you guys know that when you're seeing a lot of big favorites, somebody's got to go kablooey. You know, Las Vegas wasn't made on parlays coming through every time. They were made on parlays going combusto. So you got to remember that. And I think that, um, you know, my guy Daz, he's been very active tonight in the chat. And I truly appreciate it. My man's rocking um, today. He's got a lot to say. He said LFG Fugit, right? Fugit's a potential parlay buster. I, in my opinion, right? This is this is how simply I can break it down for you guys. Um, you know, and this is not definitive, right? This doesn't mean it's going to happen every time, 10 out of 10 times. But I'm saying on 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10 uh, pay-per-view cards, when you've got this many big favorites, the sports book is going to need at least one of the following fighters to come through at least, and maybe multiples. They're going to need at least one of Kyle Nelson, Steve Urseg, Jasmine Jasuda vicious, Adam Fugit, Nate Landwer, or a Rene Aldana. They're going to need at least one. And I would reckon two or three of those big dogs to come through to bail them out from parlay liability. Um, I truly think uh, that that's something to watch out for here. So uh, do your own due diligence, right? Uh, we're going to come back for the Thursday show, much better equipped with research, uh, matchup analysis, specifically how they've performed in their odds range, everything like that uh, down to a science. But if you want first access to all my information, that stuff is in the description box below. Uh, if you guys have questions, comments, concerns, if you want to see uh, a certain guest on the show, if you want to see more content from the channel that you haven't seen yet, if you have questions about other things in the world of combat sports outside the UFC, go ahead and drop those below the video in the comment section below and happy uh, to address each and every one of those as well. Um, had a lot of people interact in the comments over the last few weeks. Uh, with positive feedback, with criticism, uh, with things that I could do to improve the show. And I truly appreciate it uh, because at the end of the day, it's us good guys versus the bookies each and every week. Cheers to each and every one of you guys that's watching the show. God bless you all. Uh, we got library uh, has has been silent all night. He came in with with just one today. Um, you know, I he uh, he's coming in hot. I have said nothing uh, about this. Um, you know, I've tried to keep it very hush hush. I just want to move on with my life. Um, but the, the truth is he just told me one day he doesn't want to be on the show no more. 
It's all good. God bless for it. Uh, I think, I think, uh, happy, happy to continue doing, uh, what I'm doing before, uh, he was on the show. We had a lot of success since he's been gone. We've been having a lot of success. It's all good. There's only one direction in life. It's forward guys. Uh, don't dwell on shit that goes sideways. Uh, somebody doesn't want to work with you. Just move on. Right. Don't work with them. It's like that, that for me is a simple path in life. If you don't want to work with me, I'll handshake and God bless. Um, and we keep going. So, uh, I appreciate, uh, <laughs> I appreciate everybody that rocks with this show that's stuck with the show. Um, and I appreciate people that tune in, uh, to these first looks at the card. Uh, not everybody does, but I appreciate y'all soldiers that rock with us on a Sunday night. I also appreciate the people that come in on the Thursday shows as well. I'm going to have a lot of continuing great guests in the future. Uh, friends of the show, some people that you guys know, some people that you love, also some new talent, uh, people that are looking for a platform. So if you think that you fit the bill as well for somebody that should be on the show, that has something to say, that has a track record, um, you know, please, by all means, get at me and be happy to try and uh, figure something out as well. So um, in the meantime, guys, want to just say these last things to close us out. Number one, I will be back on Thursday at three o'clock, three thirty, uh, something around that range. You could stay tuned for announcements. You could find me everywhere at Liam Picks Fights uh, and reach out to me on those platforms. Appreciate when you do, um, and I will try and timestamp this video as soon as possible so you guys can click around and see my thoughts on the fights. But just know we will make it official with our leans, our predictions, uh, and update the record on Thursday. So uh, the last thing we'll leave you with. God bless you all. Enjoy those fights. Until next time, come back on Thursday and we'll have some more fun. We'll break down the fights and we'll do it all again. Take care, everybody. Appreciate your support.